Radio Mano Papachango. Episode 251, I think. Yes, we've broken the quarter thousand mark. Interesting how that's not really a mark, but we've done it. 250 episodes. Uh, this is with uh, a woman named Calla Rose Ostrander. Calla Rose. Beautiful, beautiful name, beautiful person. Uh, she lives here in Topanga. One of you, actually... Uh, reached out to me and said, hey, I have a friend who lives in Topanga who you should really probably meet. And you were right. Uh, let me see. I'm trying. David. David Krevit. Yeah. Thanks, David. You were right. Um, yeah. Calla Rose is one of these people who, and I love this when, when life does this. You meet someone and they're they have a job kind of i mean they're they have a they have a role in life they have a spot in the world that before you met them you didn't know existed i love that i love that there are so many jobs that you don't know exist until you meet someone who does it you know because it just shows you how much is going on that you don't know about which depending on your sort of perspective, I guess, could make you nervous and scared and feel like you're stumbling around in the dark. But for me, it makes me happy. I'm always glad to hear that there's a lot that I don't know about, that I don't understand. Um, I don't know. It's kind of reassuring in some sense. Like, you know, maybe maybe there's someone who's, you know, watching the store as we descend into chaos here you know any sort of shred of of uh an excuse to feel hopeful is welcome crazy days we're living in i don't want to get into politics too much but uh how can you not i mean it's hard to pay attention to anything else as we watch the end of empire uh we watch the american century collapsing into ridiculousness and uh chaos it's it's just really something to see and uh if you voted for trump i don't blame you i'm not blaming trump voters at least not those who were simply saying uh no more of this i i saw uh, seth um mcfarland put something on twitter a few weeks ago it was like uh you know it was like Hey, Democrats, you know, in 2020, uh, someone's going to be running against Trump who is not perfect and, you know, has said things you're not comfortable with and blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, start getting over it now so you can vote for this person to get Trump the fuck out. And I see where they're coming from, of course. I, I see, you know, yeah, okay. Uh, there is the point to be made that Clinton would have been a fuck of a lot better than this. But there's also the point to be made that 
when you're offered the choice between a shit sandwich and a big cold mug of piss, at some point you just say, fuck this, uh, and you vote for the shit sandwich. Because you can only drink so much ice cold piss. Uh, maybe that's not the best metaphor, but my point is you've got this corrupt system that offers essentially a fake choice. Now, yes, there's a difference between the Democrats and the Republicans, but the system is set up to make that difference as small as possible so it won't disrupt the continued destruction of the planet the continued belief in growth as the sort of unquestioned engine at the heart of every economy. So it won't uh, seriously question, bring into question the, the military domination, the amount of money that's being spent on armaments and, you know, all this obviously corrupt ridiculousness. This, the system is set up, and I don't mean set up by external forces, it sets itself up. These things are alive. They're just like a, just like a plant in the desert is going to be a certain kind of plant. It can only exist. The plant is born out of the conditions of the desert. Now, you know, if a seed of an orchid lands in the desert, it might sprout, but it'll die immediately. It won't flourish in the desert. The only kind of plant that can flourish in the desert is a plant that is adapted to that environment. So we see the same thing in political systems and economic systems and all this. These are living things. So the political system in the United States has evolved, let's say, rather than is set up, has evolved to perpetuate itself, to survive, so that this system that gave birth to it is accommodated by the thing it's given birth to. So what I mean by that is that the system, like all systems, evolves to perpetuate the conditions that gave birth to it. So getting back to something more concrete, the system is set is designed to offer the smallest possible choice that still keeps a critical mass of people believing that there is a choice while in fact presenting the minimal possible disruption to business as usual. So that's where we are. That's where we've been for a long time. And so people who, a lot of the people who voted for Trump, and these are the people who had voted for Obama, they're saying, fuck this. Fuck this false choice you're giving me. You're giving me the choice between McDonald's and Burger King. I don't want either one. I want healthy, real food. I want something that was in the ground 20 minutes ago. I want honesty. I want transparency. I want a political system that responds to the world as it is, not a political system that just keeps perpetuating the bullshit. So as much as I despise Trump, as much as I despise what he's doing, to the world, to the United States, 
to political culture in this country. I can't bring myself to blame Trump voters, at least those who voted for Trump because they were saying, fuck this, no more. Um, and that's that was a lot of them. Same people who voted for Obama. Hope and change. Well, there wasn't enough hope and change. It wasn't hope and change. It was a fucking bait and switch. And so, uh, you know, I look at this and I say, well, okay, if, if Bernie had been on the ballot, then I would say, fuck everyone who voted for Trump. But Bernie wasn't on the ballot because the DNC sabotaged him. Fucking Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Fuck that lady. They sabotaged Bernie. They sabotaged the the passion. The people who said, fuck, finally, someone who's honest. This guy calls himself a fucking socialist for 30 years in America. That's that that's the political equivalent of saying, you know, I don't know, I'm a I'm a pedophile, you know? I mean, it's like nuts. That's disqualifying. And yet somehow this guy. I shouldn't say pedophile because that's an evil thing, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's like saying, <laughs> why are all the why are all the metaphors I think of like so? Uh, like I'm afraid to say them. Anyway, the point is, uh, Bernie Sanders is a man of integrity. He's you know not full of shit. He should have been on the ballot because that's what people want. And they want it so badly that they'll vote for a guy who will stand up and say, I'm a fucking liar, but at least I'm honest about it. And that's that's what Trump's campaign basically was. I'm full of shit. I'm a blowhard. I'm a racist. I'm a misogynist. Yeah, yeah. Fuck everybody. I don't give a shit. That's that's who I am. That's essentially what he said. And people were like, okay, he's a misogynist. He's an asshole. He's a rich prick. He Everybody hates him. But hey, at least he's honest. I'll vote for him. I think integrity, authenticity, and what passes for honesty is so rare in the sort of pu- public sphere that people will gravitate to that even if it's incredibly ugly and destructive and horrible just because it's real. So getting back to the metaphor, you're offering me a choice. The political system is offering me a choice between Burger King and McDonald's. And they're saying, oh, but look, you know, McDonald's has this and Burger King is like that. This is a choice. Participate in the system. And people, most people are saying, fuck you. I won't eat anything. That's why the voting one of the reasons so few people vote in this country because it's a bullshit choice most of the time and the ones who who are participating are saying yeah i'm hungry i'm really hungry i want something but i don't want either of these things you're offering me because this is just a fucking lie anyway why am i going off about this what the hell is this oh Calla rose so Calla rose works in the political system uh, she's an environmentalist. She's a scientist. She's a, a very, very smart person. And she basically, I don't, I wouldn't even know what to call her job, but she coordinates with 
the political world, the commercial world, and the environmental activist world and makes good things happen. I don't know what you would call her, a connector, a facilitator. We talk about that a bit in the conversation. She's got, uh, she's <laughs> as confused by it as I am, I think. But it's uh, it's really interesting uh, insight. This conversation, I think, offers interesting insights into how things actually work in the political world. It comes down, a lot of it still comes down to who you know, what kind of relationship you have with them, whether there's a level of trust between the people involved in these conversations. And um, yeah, so things are things are fucked on the national level, clearly. Um, but on the more local level and even on the state level of California, which is equivalent to the national level in, in lots of countries in terms of the amount of money and people involved, uh, there still does seem to be some sort of functional mechanism going on. So um, without further ado, I think I'll just get to it. Why not? All right, I'm going to play you out with a tune by a podcast listener, a friend of the podcast, I guess, as they say, uh, Whitney. And the song is called Crystallize. She goes by Wit Blue, I think. Yeah, that's her her stage name, maybe. Um, W-I-T-B-L-U dot com. That's where you can find a bunch of stuff about her. She's also on Spotify, iTunes, all those places where musicians are. But just go to her website, witblue, W-I-T-B-L-U dot com. This song is called Crystallize, which says that it's her third single just released. It's about truth. All right. Truth. How can you go wrong with that? So hope you enjoy this tune. Thanks for listening to the podcast and I will catch you next week.
I'm sitting outside my Topanga hovel with Calla Rose. What's your last name? Ostrander. Ostrander, which is, uh, that, that's a name. That's Ostrander. <laughs> Ostrander. There's probably an umlaut in there yeah, back like, in the old country. Right. It's like an Austrian-Dutch combo. Two families got married, created a new name. So Ost is east, I think. That's right. And Rander is... Um, Strander from the East Beach. Ah, beach, East Beach. Mm-hmm. So your family's from some lake in Austria. Or something. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I've yet to put that part of the puzzle together. Have you been to Austria? No. You've never been to Austria? No, but, but when I was in Italy for my study abroad, everyone thought I was from Austria, which made sense. Hmm. Given. I love your shoes. It's too bad this is audio only. I would... Oh, thanks. To get you to put your feet up on the desk yeah, they're, or something. Yeah, of course you love them because they're a Spanish leather, they're a classic Spanish leather brand. Um, and oh. I found them in a thrift store. And they're, they're designed like leafs. Like, Picolinos. Oh, Picolinos. Oh, nice. Anyway, so uh, you and I met each other at uh, Abuelitas here in Topanga a few weeks ago because our mutual friend whose name escapes me. David. David. Davy. Very nice guy. Um, he sent me an email saying, you have to meet Calla Rose, because Calla Rose lives in Topanga, and she's doing all this really interesting stuff. And... You know, he's so nosy like so that. So here we are. <laughs> here we are. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. <laughs> Thanks, Davey. So, um, yeah, we, we chatted a little bit the other night, but my general sense is that you're, what do you call yourself, an environmental activist, a, a lobbyist for the good side? Or what, what do yeah, you, do? you know, that's, it's like so funny because people always, they want to know. It's kind of like they want to know who you are and what you do. Sure. It's kind of like when I moved to San Francisco, people were like, are you straight? Are you gay? Are you bi? Like, do people like feel more comfortable when they can you know, put you in like a box because it helps them feel secure and then they know what to expect from you. But then ultimately they make assumptions, which makes them feel disappointed. So, mm. you know, labels are useful, but also limited. Um, I'm assuming you're, um, you're, you're bi, you're, uh, 
sort of open to absolutely everything on the political spectrum. I'm, I'm just going to like, my, whatever label I apply to you is going to be all inclusive. You're omnivorous. Yes, I am definitely You're uh, whatever, a world traveler except for Austria is the only country you have not been to. A country of origin. Yeah, man, I should do that at some point. All right, so so, so reduce yourself. Put I yourself in a, a box. I talked to a lawyer. I said, "Listen, I, I you know I want to reduce my risk for I don't want to be sued in the future for being a lobbyist or fundraising oh. for people or what's going on here." And she's and I explained it all to her. And she, this was last week, and she said, "You know, it's so funny. You're actually like an artist, and these people who pay you are like your patrons because they don't pay you to do." Uh, anything except for what you do and so then you go out and do it and you tell them what you've done and they're happy with it and then you continue to do it so, so you're like a hooker of the mind kind of yeah that'd be a good business card yeah hooker of the mind I mean you environmental activist sure organizer okay facilitator sure so the labels actually create a vulnerability for you for, in a legal sense they or they could. well they could um, or if you if you choose to be a lobbyist, you got to register. You got uh, to put in so much time. You have to pay fees. If you're fundraising for anything that you could have financial benefit from in the future, you have to register as a fundraiser or political fundraiser. Mm. But what I do is I look at the movement of uh, in the climate space and, and agriculture, and I say, okay, what do we need from a political economy perspective? Like what culturally we need this type of storytelling. Politically, we need this type, these types of policies in order to shift the economy. And then, you know, what type of science are there gaps? And luckily, I work with really smart people who can tell me where the gaps are. And um, so then you kind of find funding for these things, or you find the right groups to lobby those things, or you find the right people to tell the story that needs to be told. And in the mix of it, then you begin to get actual shift within the sector or the culture. Um, That's very interesting. So you start with where you, the story that you want to be hearing, like on a grand public scale, and then you work your way back to enable that story to be told. Yeah, and the story is that, you know, we as humans are good on this planet. We don't have to be the bad guys, that, that how we live and, you know, what we, how we eat and what we do with the things when we're done with them, like our, our, what we call our waste is really just another form of energy. And so if we put it back in the right way, like if we take the things that when we're done with them and we put them back, pollution is just elements that are out of their normal cycle. So the, the big vision that we're working backwards from is that humans are good and the way that we live and clothe ourselves and house ourselves and feed ourselves can all be part of a healthy, stable, thriving, abundant planet. And that's the big vision, right? And then you work backward from there. You know, like, well, what are the current parts of human society that affect this positively or negatively? Okay, what right. are the pieces within that? Which ones could shift? Which ones need education? Which ones just need, who are the early adopters and the positive deviants that need support out there? Positive deviant, that's a good phrase. Yeah, so I work for this brilliant man named John Wick, who is the co-founder of the Marine Carbon Project, and his entire strategy was to find positive deviance within this sector and then to support them. Because by supporting them, mm. he didn't need to rebuild the sector or fund large nonprofits within right. it. He just supported the people who were already breaking the mold in a positive way to do their thing, knowing that then the trend would form around them. Which is very interestingly, essentially a following uh, evolutionary dynamic. 
you have mutants, right? right? I mean, it's one of the evolutionary right. dynamics where you have genetic mutants who are somehow more adapted to the environment than the norm, right? And they reproduce more, and that's how it, it moves forward. You know, classic Darwinian evolutionary theory, anyway. And so essentially what he's doing is just sort of turbocharging a natural process, yep. which then feeds in back into your entire right. vision of things. Right. So let, let me just challenge you a little bit before we, we get past this, because I think this is a really important concept that you just sort of laid out there. I mean, you're used to saying it, but, but I'd like to focus on it a little. This idea that humans don't need to be disruptive environmentally is, I think, a very important um, idea. Certainly I agree with it in terms of pre-agricultural people. Hunter-gatherer people lived on this planet for hundreds of thousands of years without um, disrupting the planet, at least on a scale that we're looking at now. We can argue about whether they were disruptive Yeah, well, they didn't have synthetic nitrogen, so yeah. <laughs> right. Well, see, and, that's, and you said pollution is just uh, something that's out of cycle or out of its natural place. But aren't, haven't we now developed chemicals and, let's say, radioactive materials and things that are like there is no natural place for them? Yeah, we've created new compounds and they are amalgamations or Frankensteins of lots of different elements in order for them to not pollute, which is to break a system or to cause damage in it, they would have to actively be deconstructed and then put back into those places. And there are biological processes that work really, very well for this. And what I love so much is that a lot of the biological processes that we are now becoming aware of, like mycelia that break down nuclear waste um, or thermophilic composting process, which breaks down a lot of hormones and pharmaceuticals, uh, different types of pharmaceuticals that we've created, is that these are biological processes that can be stewarded by humans. So we can come in and say, okay, this is a function of nature, but we've created this thing over here, then let's use the support this function, let's amplify this function so that then we return it. We don't mm. create pollution. So it's being responsible for the things that we've created. Right. Because we have gone so far outside of quote unquote natural cycles, although I, to, to call that means that humans aren't natural and there's a whole you know, yeah, dialogue and dialectic of that that we don't need to go into right now. But I do think that you know, what, what we're trying to do, and I think so many people know today, is that the traditional environmentalism in the United States really took humans out of the picture. Right. It's like humans are bad. You know, we just get them out, take them away from the land. You know, it displaced people who were living on the land. And, you know, what you see around us in Topanga is a highly unmanaged damaged landscape that's the result of removing fire and annual harvesting and then overgrazing over it and then completely removing grazing. Right. And now what we have is a bunch of thatch that's like a giant tinderbox without the prairie grasses that you would need to support or the coastal grasses that you would need to support, the type of bird communities to support the predators and so on right. and so forth. So this idea that like nature exists without humans is just fundamentally, I don't agree with it. And I think that really the only way forward is to put ourselves in this picture consciously and then figure out how we can be responsible within that and create the type of stable climate we want, the type of mm -hmm. environment that doesn't poison us and poison our children. 
So we're past the point where we can remove ourselves from the environment, yeah. and now the only option is to interact with the environment in an educated, uh, compassionate, sort of even self-interested way. It's ultimately. very self-interested, and then people who say that it's like altruistic and or call you know someone like you know oh, you're an idealist or you don't like people it's like wrong I'm doing this because yeah. I love all the people and this is the thing that we all share and it's practical so yeah I think that you know there's been a number of papers written and I and I don't remember I can't cite them off the top of my head but basically saying like at this point in time if we removed ourselves from the system it would continue to collapse from a climate perspective so we've tipped it so far that we're going to see we are in the midst of a state change in terms of the carbon cycle and how it is on our planet. So at this point, if we want to stabilize it, it's not about taking ourselves out of the picture. It's about putting ourselves in and yeah. then taking responsibility for what we can do to manage that, to stabilize it, to bring it back into balance. There's a, there's a quotation from uh, T.S. Eliot's The Four Quartets that I return to over and over again. Um, he says, the end of all our travels will be to return to where we began and know the place for the first, first time. time. You know that line? Yeah, it's like yeah. the, what is it, the Ouroboros who eats its tail? Yeah. The Mayan symbol of, of God? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, you said we're in a state, moment of state change in terms of our, you know, carbon and the environment and all that. But I, I kind of feel like we're in a state change in almost every sense. Mm -hmm. Like every whether it's environmental or relationships or, you know, how we deal with, um, you know, disabled people or, you know, people different from us in, in whatever sense. And all it, it, we're at this incredible pivot point. Mm -hmm. And and I know, you know, people are going to say, yeah, but people always think they're at a pivot pivot point. But <laughs> I feel like I feel like you could objectively demonstrate that, that, we that we are. Yeah. You know? Totally. I, it's great that you bring that up because I often ask myself that question. I'm like, do I just think this because I'm here and therefore my world is centered around, you know, myself? <laughs> but I think from a, certainly from a climate, and, you know, I should, I, I really want people to start understanding that, that climate is about a function of where energy is placed on the planet. And carbon is the base form by which we exchange energy on our planet. We're all carbon-based life forms. You know, all the life that we know of in the universe is carbon-based. So when we're talking about life or exchange of energy, we're talking also on a physical level. I mean, it's very complex, but that base building block is we're talking about carbon. And so I think that we are at a turning point, certainly in terms of how we have managed or interacted with energy on the planet from a physical perspective. And now, you know, I would hope that it also, and I think that I see it also extending to, to our social norms, because again, we are not separate from this system that we are in. We are right. of the system. We create the system. It shapes us. And so I, I think that there is a lot of language that we just don't have to describe what what we're trying to talk about here right now it, it seems like are you familiar with joseph campbell the a hero bit, with yeah. a thousand faces mm -hmm. you know he, hero's he, journey yeah yeah he talks about you know all these stories uh from homer to you know every every culture has a story about a young man or young woman who goes out and adventures and has all these challenges and learns all these things right. and star faces wars, everything right? star wars, star wars yeah, and yeah. you know campbell gave the lecture at lucas ranch every year when they were <laughs> right, working right. on that and then at the at the end of the journey, it always it's a return home and they bring back the lessons that they learned on this journey mm -hmm. to help 
the people back home, right? Mm-hmm. And, well, in, in, you know, the Odyssey, of course, it also includes killing all the guys who wanted to fuck his wife after yeah, 27 years. Yeah, come home and slaughter everyone in the house. <laughs> but, then, but then you help him out. And then he only stays for, like, a night, right? And then he goes right. back out on and the road, like, and you're yeah. like, why? Just stay a little longer. <laughs> I was born a rambling man, baby. Just trying to make a living. Anyway, uh, my, my point is that it, it, I, I've come to the conclusion that that's been... We are at the moment now of, of arriving home, mm. you know, and we're, we're coming back. We've spent mm. five to 10,000 years out on this journey, learning things, developing science, learning how to blow shit up and build things and change the environment and build dams and move rivers and all this kind of stuff. We've learned all this stuff. And, and ultimately, the, in the last phase, we've learned that we're killing ourselves, that mm-hmm. we're destroying our home. And at the same time, we've built this global brain network, this neural mm-hmm. network that mm-hmm. you and I are talking into right now. And, <laughs> you know, I'll click a few buttons and people in Mongolia will be listening to this in an instant. So we've built that, which gives this huge potential for ideas to spread in a, in a, in a day. Mm-hmm. And we've also developed the capacity to generate as much energy as we need, essentially, mm-hmm. passively, mm-hmm. without fucking anything up or burning things. Yeah, we got to get off those fossils. Yeah. And so it all comes together, not coincidentally, at the same moment. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like we've got the way to, we capacity to, to think about it. We've got the capacity to talk about it. And we've got the capacity to do it. And we have the necessity. Yes. At all at the same moment. We have everything we need. Right. And why the fuck am I talking about that? Oh, Joseph Campbell. That Joseph I, I Campbell. feel like that's like our entire species and now we're home has again. gone. Well, we're almost home, but ah, yeah. but it's stormy seas, and we might not make that's it. That's true. You know, that last, that last bit, that last journey, you know, to try to make it to the home shore is going to be a sea whopper. Monsters and right, you know, those we've got big like tidal like sucking whirlpools that go down. I mean, we've got the fucking Trump monster. You know, yeah, no, I mean up he's a whirlpool because everyone's energy is just. Is like whoosh, and you're yeah. like no 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 don't don't pay attention to that just come back <laughs> come back come back come back come back well i was this morning i was thinking you know we're at this moment in history where corporations are are beyond nations mm-hmm. right used to say what's good for exxon is good for america you know they mm-hmm. famously said in the 40s i think it was or 50s but these days what's good for exxon really is independent of what's good for america yeah, exxon's true. a multinational yeah. it doesn't give a shit about america or whatever probably it's based in ireland for tax purposes i don't know what but major corporations are transnational and yet here we are you know yesterday i think it was donald trump signed this executive order uh, rescinding all these obama environmental considerations and controls in order to help corporations that's treason. That's treason. You're because the the rivers and the lakes and the forests are national. They're American. They're here. Yeah. The corporations aren't here. They're not American. Yeah. So you're sacrificing American interests to something that isn't American. That's fucking treason. That's anti-American. Not that I'm, you know, a patriot or a zealot or anything, but I think we need people to understand that it's really human versus corporate at this point. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you talk about that, it just like all the energy goes out of my body. I could see you. I could it's see you like, slumping. You it's were just like it's like such a. It's so. I ranted you to death hard. there. Almost. It's so deflating, and I, 
I guess like from a personal perspective, so I was super, you know, I just fought everything and I was 25 and I went to San Francisco and got somehow hired to implement Gavin Newsom's climate policies and, you know, just ran my head into every obstacle. And He was mayor at the time. He was mayor at the time and then he wasn't mayor and it was like the house of cards and oh my God, you know, just like the stuff that goes down, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a real thing. Um, and I, uh, I got into this accident where I dove into the bottom of the ocean accidentally um, <laughs> off my surfboard. Wait, and, wait uh, you dove into the bottom of the ocean? Yeah, so there was a sandbar that was like way out and I hadn't surfed that break that year and um, up in Mendocino and uh, I blacked out and I got this, um, I basically got a moderate traumatic brain injury. So I couldn't read for maybe eight months or a wow. year. Um, I just now I'm able to read books again because uh, I couldn't visually I couldn't focus long enough I couldn't be outside I couldn't be in the sun because my body couldn't regulate its own temperature I um, obviously I, I was on medical leave for a year and a half and then I began working part-time very slowly just as a facilitator in communications because I didn't have any short-term memory so I really could only be in the present moment and also the thing about brain injuries is that they your brain, when it's healing, it takes all of your energy because it, your body prioritizes it. So your mm. hair starts falling out and your skin doesn't heal as well. And you are exhausted all the time because your body's like priority number one, we're fixing the brain. Right. Um, and so in that time period, I had this experience of, you know, I'd lie in bed like probably 17, 18 hours a day, whether sleeping or awake. and just have to make these decisions like I could be mad at my ex-boyfriend or I could get up and take a shower. Like I literally don't have energy to do both. Hmm. You know, or I could try to fight, you know, the utility and, and remember to tell my old coworker that they need to make sure that they tell this reporter this thing because of the, you know, like sunshine request, whatever governmental thing that's going on. Or I could go downstairs and make myself lunch. And what I realized was that I just, I had to make some really hard choices about where I want to spend my energy. Do I right. want to spend it being upset and fighting? Which I'm not saying you shouldn't, like being anger is a, angry is a legitimate response to an, an inequity that is you need to stand up for. So I'm not illegitimizing anger, but on a personal level, I had to decide if I was going to be fight things and be sad or upset about them, or if I was going to like, take a shower, make my lunch, call my sister. Like, mm. what was it that I wanted to prioritize in my life? Because I literally could not make two choices. I had to make one. And in doing that, I decided to focus on this work and ultimately did not go back to work for the city of San Francisco and did not go work for Google and instead went to do this work now because it's about restoring the soil and everybody wins because the soil is really the basis for our agricultural food system and what we now know about what you can do when you manage for carbon in that system is you get more water in the system you get more grass you get grass that has a higher nutrient content you get food that has a higher nutrient content the farmer loves it the consumer loves it you take something that was a dead wasted product in a landfill and you make it into the compost that does this whole thing and you begin to stabilize the climate. And when you stabilize carbon, you stabilize water. And it just was like, 
I could choose to focus on this thing that was going to be good or I mm. could choose to be upset about all these things. So I think when you get upset about it, it's not that it like deflates me. It's just that I remember how much energy it takes to be upset. And yeah. as someone who still deals with like a somewhat limited amount of energy in my day, I have to like decide, well, where's it going to go? Yeah. You know, and I could rant about corporations, but I just was on an hour phone call with the guys from Mars and they're, you know, the Mars bars, the by Mars the way, bars. not the planets. Yeah. yeah. Although the guys maybe are from Mars and I'm from Venus. So that's why it was a long distance. Phone <laughs> oh, call. Right. But uh, we, you know, they, those guys are like, they get it. They, they get that the soil is an important thing. Yeah. Do and, they? Yeah. Or is it a tax write off? No. Those guys were one of the biggest champions for renewable energy in the last couple years on the corporate side in the U.S. Um, I mean, one of several, but, you know, in, in talking to them, they, what they say is like, oh, this gives us a new way after yesterday. They're feeling really down about everything. And they're like, this gives us a new way to go approach the 28 farm bill, 2018 farm bill as our, like, this is going to be about healthy food and healthy soil and climate change for us. This gives us a new avenue. But how does, how does that happen? And I don't want to undermine your, you know, your progress with the people from Mars, but how do guys who make sugar bars talk about healthy food? You know, it's, I have to say that it, I used to, um, I used to have this boss who worked directly for Newsom and he and I would just be like it's never going to work he, he's like I can't do all the carbon accounting I just don't understand how this person's ever going to get here and he'd just be like Kala 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 weeds weeds you're making the perfect the enemy of the good and and I'm not saying I'm not excusing the wholesale like selling of obesity and diabetes to the American public at the profit of like a very few people but what I am saying is like you start where you are yeah. And you start with what's good. And the thing about the positive deviance is like you recognize what's good and you support the thing that's good because energy goes. It's like, you know, in yoga, they're like your body goes where your eyes go or like mm. when you're learning to drive in the rain, it's like car goes where the body goes. And you it's just like you got to start with what's good. So I'm not excusing corporate greed, which is undeniably inexcusable and unacceptable at this point in history and the fact that we continue to like prop it up about some myth that everybody can achieve this status is just ignorant and stupid and irresponsible but I am saying that like those three guys that I talked to at Mars when it comes time for like votes on crop insurance I'm going to call them and we're going to get votes on crop insurance to go towards supporting cover crops right <laughs> you know like right. I'm yeah. just real fucking practical at this stage in the game it's true I mean it, it, I don't know if you've you've you hike a lot. You do a lot of outdoor I try stuff to every day. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when you're trying to go up a really big mountain, you don't want to like spend your time looking at the top because oh, you'll so never get there. Yeah. yeah. You just sort of look in front of you and enjoy the steps. I mean, you know, the thing about that rant, and I know from your perspective, it can seem overwhelming. Uh, but for me, it's actually one of the most hopeful things I've come up with. Why is that? <laughs> because. Because I'm configuring it, I, I'm looking at the struggle now as being between, and this is all involved, people listen to the podcast have heard me yak about this a lot, so I won't go into it too much, but basically, you know, when I was working on, on this Civilized to Death, I was working on this chapter about wealth and, and how we manage money versus how hunter-gatherers manage value and exchange value and all that kind of stuff, right? And so I was 
I was critiquing this notion that civilization has actually created wealth. So mm -hmm. what is wealth? If mm -hmm. wealth is life satisfaction, then let's look at how satisfied we are with our lives mm -hmm. versus hunter-gatherers. You know, and then also look at, you know, we are not representative of the modern world. We're at the very top of the sort of, you know, the food chain in term, or food chain's the wrong word, but we're, we're far wealthier, however you measure it, than most humans are in the 21st century. And so look at the averages and all that. Anyway, when I was, you know, sort of like a tangential argument was, and even the fucking millionaires aren't happy. Mm -hmm. And I started looking into mm -hmm. that research. And the further I looked into it, the more overwhelming it is that... You know, there are people in Silicon Valley making $10 million who are upset because their neighbor is making $20 million. Oh, yeah. I had to and leave the Bay Area because of that. There's it's just, so there's horrible. no end to it. It's, a, no it's a con game. Yeah. So then I said, well, well, wait a minute. If the winners of this game are not happy, yeah, <laughs> then what kind of game is this? Yeah, What's going on that's here? That's the thing. And I mean, it's like, so... Harvard just did, released that 75-year study they did on, like, what happiness is. Did you see that? No, I didn't see So that. they tracked, I mean, this was a huge effort. Kudos to them for, like, tracking a population over 75 years, different scientists, you know, all these different things. Yeah, I know about the cohort study. They've looked at everything. Right. right? So they, they looked at, like, well, what makes a person happy over the course of their life and then the next generation? And, you know, it came down, hands down, to the quality of relationships right. that they had. And community. Community. And yeah. it wasn't, it was like, yes, you could be married, but was it a quality marriage? You know, because people have been like, well, marriage is better for men, blah, blah, blah. Or like, right. They're like, no, no, it's, you know, or you could be, you could have a lot of friends or you could have a few friends. It didn't matter. What mattered was the quality of relationships that you had across the space and time of this study, across the economic classes of the people surveyed. Right. By and, like, that hands down, that wins. That's exactly. what makes you happy. Exactly. More than smoking, more than exercise. Yep. All that and stuff. Not, not only happy, but healthy. Healthy. And, yeah. And, Longevity. And more than money and more than what we call, quote unquote, security that you get from money. It right. was the like emotional stability and security of these relationships that really, you know, made, made it good. And what I love about this work is it's really relational. It's like, okay, so you know, how do we relate to each other? How do we relate to the planet? How do we relate to the food that we eat? And then I know that this is, people get grossed out by this, but literally our poop is like, what's left over? And if we don't manage it, what we do right now is we dump it in the ocean or on fallow fields. And instead of being like, no, no, that's an incredibly rich energy resource that we should be giving back. Yeah. And in any good relationship, you, there's, a, there's a take and there's a give. And the modern environmentalists want us to not take. Don't take, it's bad. And it's like, I'm alive. I'm going to take. I'm going right. to eat. I'm going to like want to go fast. I'm going to want to have a hot shower. I'm going to take things. But I'm also going to be in good relationship with everything around me. And I'm going to give back, whether yeah. that's to people or to the planet that supports me and the systems that support me. I think that whole idea of compost, which I love so much, and I know this is super esoteric, but it's like an act of giving back, which is fundamental to any good relationship. And so the whole thing for me is relational at this point. And yeah, there's really good science now behind it, but it's about the quality of your relationships. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, and just to finish my little, my framing, my rant there. Uh -huh. So I got to that moment and I was, 
what I understood was that if the winners are losing, uh-huh. then what's happening is that it's not you and me and a few people playing poker over at your place one night where, you know, I, I leave $20 poorer and you leave $20 richer. David, David would win because he's really good at poker. Right. I suck. <laughs> <laughs> the point is we're in a casino where we all lose. Oh, yeah, right. So then who's the casino? Yeah. The casino is corporations, institutions, yeah. mm-hmm. non-human entities. That now have human status. That have human BGW, legal rights. It's so exactly. Ridiculous. It's incredible, right? So anyway, the reason this is this is hopeful for me is that I now understand this isn't about rich and poor. This isn't about the ninety-nine versus the one percent. That's a false framing. That's a that's a divide and conquer bullshit, just like the war between the sexes and the war between the blacks and the whites and the Jews and the Mexicans. It's all bullshit. Mm-hmm. We're all in this together, mm-hmm. us humans. <laughs> the enemy is not rich people. The enemy is not Republicans. The enemy is the fucking corporations. And the problem with the Republican Party is, in my opinion, and well, demonstrably a lot of them, in, in politics anyway, are defending the rights of the corporations over the rights of humans. That's the problem. Yeah, I think for me at this point, I mean, I'm, thank you for reframing your rant as to like why it's positive, because <laughs> I was pretty not <laughs> positive about it. I mean, it, it, may, it gives me a way to not hate rich people. You know, I love rich people, some rich people, and I feel sorry for them because they made it and they're still fucking miserable. Well, so I saw um, I went to, I got this really wonderful opportunity last night to go see uh, Guru Dev speak, who's this is uh, the founder of oh, man. I can't remember it's, what it's called. It's like this huge, huge global movement about reducing stress and mm. um, increasing health and communities. He's a, he's a Indian guru. Um, and uh, he said there's three things that you need to have in life. You need to have passion, you need to have compassion, which I think is what you're talking about, and you need to have dispassion. Oh, interesting. Because if you don't have dispassion, you're going to have insomnia. Because <laughs> at some and point, stress, you, yeah. you're going to be stressed. So yeah. at some point, you got to be like, I'm letting go. Like, I'm letting go of this stuff. And I yeah. think what has constipated the liberal movement is its inability to fucking let go for a second and Mm. just be like, I want to live a good life. Because the thing is that we all want to live good lives. Liberals, Republicans, rich people, poor people. And that is, you know, we can have compassion for people who aren't and we can have passion about living that good life but it's like somehow the movement up into the brain that creates a frame and a box and says you're to blame for this thing instead of the like the letting go for a second and just being human and being a creature and being good and enjoying yourself that like really brings people together i mean i have one of my best friends from our parents were pregnant together in colorado is a leading spokesperson for the republican party in colorado and she has a compost, you know, pile in her backyard and she shows mm. it to me and she grows her own tomatoes and pickles her cucumbers and, you know, yeah. her, they goes hunting and, you know, wants to know about, you know, how the right way to graze their land up in, you know, North Dakota and her, you know, all her friends are like, oh, tell me about how to get healthier soil. I want better vegetables. Like, I love, I love my garden. This, you know, how do I, Cattlemen's Association, that's a, you know, Republican association. They're like, great, 70% more grass, awesome. 
So I think it's like, yeah. instead of starting from a box of who's to blame, although I do agree with your current assessment of the box in terms of power structure that's sort of dominating us in a really bad way right now as corporations, it's like, I just try to start from a space of like, of almost dispassion. If I am dispassionate for a moment, then I can just feel human. Yeah. And if I'm feeling human, then I can talk to another human and maybe they'll come out of their box and we can talk as humans. We can figure out what we both like and then maybe we can have a good time when we hang out. Right. You know, and that's like, that's what, that's where it's at. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like we just, we just want to have a good time. We want to have a good life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think we're at a point now where people are starting to recognize that we've been fed a lot of bullshit about what constitutes a good life. Yeah. And so if we can, that's true. if we can come together on an agreement, you know, on what is a good life, in fact, right, mm -hmm. is, is having friends, having good food, having freedom, have, you know, mm -hmm. those, those are trans political concepts. Right. And uh, yeah, I mean, any fair thinking person from whatever political persuasion is going to agree on those basic principles. And then, as you say, the kinds of things you're talking about, carbon, what to do with carbon, how to, you know, being part of a system as opposed to taking from it and considering yourself separate from it. You know, anyone can see that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. And it just gives us a nice new, I mean, thanks for agreeing with my point. I just think it gives us, it gives us a way to move forward. And that doesn't mean we're not smart. It doesn't mean that we don't have to make and confront political choices. It yeah. doesn't mean that we don't confront existing power structures and the paradigms within which they have thrived. Um, and But it does mean that we can build our principles of community creation and organizing and communication on what it, on having a good life. Right. And, and, and what that means and what it means for everyone. I mean, the, John, who is one of the, who is my mentor in this, John Wick, you know, sometimes he sounds so idealistic that the practical side of me can't even say it out loud because I'm like, oh, I can't even say this. But he always talks about what would it look like if you had a society where everyone was healthy and fed and safe and happy? And I'm like, oh, we've got a long way to go before I can talk about that one. But it's an, it's an interesting concept in terms of the purity from which he comes is from that space. And it creates a type of openness and it creates a type of space because it's grounded in, because then they turned around and invested $8 million in new science to understand how the planet works in agriculture systems. It's based in some real physical reality. Mm. And so I think the combination of hard practice, like work with existing political infrastructure, work with the dominant paradigm of science to create the best science that's out there, and then hold these really radical ideals around it has created a very powerful movement, which I now get to be a part of mm. in California and is uh, shaping the United States and, and the international communities as well. And I think it's our, you know, we have to get to 100% renewable energy, like absolutely first now, there's no reason why we don't need, where we, where we can't, except for political choices, which are people's choices, by the way. The people of San Francisco voted for 100% renewable energy. That's why they're getting it. Um, and so these are people's choices and then, and then, you've got to look at drawing down carbon from the atmosphere, right? So we got to stop putting so much in it 
and then we have to actually draw it down. And the brilliant thing is we're surrounded by all of these grasses and all of these trees and they're all performing the most sophisticated technology that we've ever encountered, which is photosynthesis. Mm. So it's all about then harnessing or working with if you don't want to use a like <laughs> dominant term of harnessing the yoke, but working with supporting this process, this technology, which is photosynthesis, to maximize its potential. And the wonderful thing about photosynthesis is it creates carbohydrates, which we all eat and we all like our, make our clothes and our houses out of. So in this in this way, then we have we can draw down atmospheric carbon. We don't need a new technology. We don't need geoengineering. We don't need some new fancy tech thing we have the mechanism. It's all, it's surrounding all of us. It's the basis for life as we know it. It's this photosynthetic property that moves carbon dioxide into a physical form that we can eat it when in, in carbon carbohydrates. So the, the, the thing that we can do about climate change in the next five years is renewable energy and then this harnessing of this, the supporting, I should stop, my teacher would be so pissed at me for using the word harnessing, but this supporting of photosynthesis. and. It's so simple, and I think people need to understand that it's all there. Like you were saying earlier, we have all the tools. Mm. We know we can do it. Yeah. We ran this big, there's these big things that the IPCC, which is the big international panel on climate change, uses to run future scenarios about how fucked we are with climate change. Like under this emission scenario, we're going to, you know, Aspen's going to look like Texas. and all these different things and those big models had not previously considered soil as a carbon sink um, because we didn't have the science to do so and the science that was produced here in California and then preceding science since then has really confirmed that the soils and grasslands which are the largest cover type of on earth you know more than forests uh, forests are incredibly important as well but they were considered already grasslands were considered and so putting grasslands and agriculture into those big models and saying what if we enhanced photosynthesis in both of these systems shows that we can actually lower earth's temperature by doing this right. like we we can as a mechanism we can shift the planet towards a positive direction when it comes to stabilized weather patterns and climate systems are you familiar with pleistocene park in uh, siberia this russian project it's been in the news a bit recently. Uh, there was an article in The Atlantic a couple weeks ago, and Vice did a profile. Yeah, is that the like the like ancient, the great like the trying to bring grazing back yeah, to there? Yeah. yeah, grasslands. Grasslands, as you were saying, mm -hmm. um, and and the way they're trying to do it is by reintroducing essentially Pleistocene fauna, oh, right. including he, right, mammoths. Right, 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 right. He wants to right, bring they're, back the mammoths. Yeah, and that's they're right. trying to clone mammoths that's from right. uh, a trunk that they found frozen. And apparently it's not that far-fetched an idea. And even if they can't get the mammoths cloned, they're going to try to introduce elephants. And they figure within a few generations, the elephants will start to develop, you know, long hair and fat. <laughs> No, I mean, I totally get it. And this is also where it's like, sometimes I, I, it's like so nice to talk to women and not men. And I know this is a totally gendered and totally unfair statement. Oh, you're going to female splain? I am going to female splain <laughs> just for a second. We don't need to fucking bring back mammoths. You just need to like rebalance those systems with a little bit of carbon, which you can do by either repairing the water systems in them or giving them compost or some form of topical carbon application. Well, but you got to read, you got to look at this. Because well, they need grazers too. Don't get me they wrong. They need stuff to knock over yeah. trees and nothing except elephants is going <laughs> to knock over those trees. 
<laughs> right. Okay. So fine. I need to like understand and, the mammoths. And bison is, and yaks yeah, and, and all that. Yeah, and grasses and grasslands co-evolved with ungulates. The idea yeah. that you can yeah. have a healthy system without the thing that it co-evolved with is not possible. You have to have grazers on these systems. So yeah. See, that's why I paused earlier when I was saying. I mean, I was saying something about how humans haven't um, altered the, you know, the the climate or the natural environment until recently, because in fact, it seems that we have. There's more research now showing, like even the Amazon, yeah. there were vast tracts of um, cultivated land. Yeah. And biochar is a practice that was like pre-agriculture that was an ag practice that was just burning. The, yeah, creating uh, like burning down, burn. creating a very dense form of essentially carbon. And then, and then putting ag over that a couple years later, allowing right. the soil to build up. And then, so, yeah, and also, like, the bison were herded seasonally, too. Right. I mean, that's a mass movement of an ungulate that was, the grasslands were cultivated. The, the, the southeast of this country was not covered in forests before we got here. You know, it was covered in meadows and grasslands. Right. And those were cultivated by fire and by moving grazing yeah, And by we, around. you mean humans, humans, not Europeans. Yeah, not yeah. Europeans. Yeah. But yeah, humans were, we've been actively creating and managing the environment, quote unquote, for a long time. Yeah. And it, it's not, an, and conventional agriculture is not to blame is so much as it's just another iteration of how we're interacting with it, in, in my right. opinion. Although I see the historical arguments for it, but I... I think that you know we, in taking responsibility for an active role in in shaping the landscape, we can then step back into this thing which I was talking about earlier, which is being res in responsible relationship to it. Yeah, are you familiar with the book called Finite and Infinite Games? I, you know, David gave me that book. Really? Yeah. Ah, cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was the first thing he ever gave me. Really? Yep. Oh, He's nice. like, you should read this. Yeah. Why do you bring it up? Um, because it, you've reminded me of it several times where you're talking about relationships, giving back, uh, you know, participating in an ongoing cycle versus mm -hmm. considering yourself removed from it and dominant toward it, you know, and also in the whole male-female way of thinking. I know it was written by a man, but it reminds me, it, it makes me think of a more sort of feminine approach to relationships because it's outside of the dominant I'm going to win mindset. Yeah, it's, right. And there's it's about right. keep it going. Keep it Don't going. Don't win it. Keep yeah, it going. Keep it going. And, and to his point in that book as well, sometimes you have to play a finite game. You know, like last year we had to get some legislation passed. That's a finite game. Mm. There are players in that game that have to be, you have to win. But you you're going to treat those players with respect because That's you realize right. that this isn't the last game you'll ever participate in with them. Right? That's exactly right. And, you know, there's an environmental justice group, very strong group of people. Central Valley has a lot of, lot of air and water quality problems, a lot of health problems because of that and a large part because of ag and its presence there and historical degradation and pollution of that landscape. And they were on the opposite side of the big dairy guys. And what we did to get this law passed that was the first of its kind in, in the world, which addressed short-lived climate pollutants, the SB 1383, was we created this bridge space between them. Now, the EJ groups came out, at EJ? The, the environmental justice groups uh -huh. came out and they were like, real upset at us in the end and the dairy guys like almost walked away from the table and they were so angry <laughs> and but we got it through and it was in it and what it did then is this year all of a sudden now 
because even though that was a finite game we had to win, to your point, the relationships that we created in that process, you know, now I can talk to that dairy lobby and I can talk to the advocates who are organizing around sustainable agriculture and health in the Central Valley and be like, so we're all talking about composting dairy waste. Let's, and, and I know it sounds like super simple and really unsexy, but that's then the basis of the type of collaboration that will change the system. So you, sometimes you do, you play these finite games, but you do it in such a way that you know who you're trying to bring in for the next set that you're going to play. Right. Um, and definitely I consider myself an infinite player in that, in that lexicon in that I don't belong to a specific organization. I don't have a nonprofit. I'm not, and I'm not a business. And I, it allows me to be flexible in the space and to not compete but to push or to pull. You're like a political ninja. You just like disappear and appear. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> like, silent in the night, right? <laughs> right, so that's why I was also hesitant to even talk to you because it's like, you know, and I credit David for making me do it, but I just was like, you know, part of what makes this successful is that it's not about, it's not about me. It's not about mm. what I do. Right. It's about all these other people and what we're doing together. That's the thing. Yeah, but I think it's also valuable to know that there are people like you involved in the process. I would have never known that. I mean, I still don't know what the hell you do, but <laughs> I didn't know there was anyone doing that. I, I guess I still don't. How do you make how does how does a person make a living like just hanging around political debates and well because it's like you want to see something happen and so <laughs> the people who i work for are like you know when you show up the things happen just mm. show up you so know? you're like a political facilitator or something yeah i think it's like a people facilitator mm. and, and also there's so much translation you know these guys over here have their own vocabulary the scientists and the right. politicians can't admit that they don't know about nitrogen but I can watch them and be like, oh, oh you don't he know. know. Right. And you then, don't know about that And then that you've thing. got the tact to sort of inform him without... Without him knowing that I knew that he was ignorant. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's a special skill. <laughs> so it's a lot You'd be a great of facilitation. Wife. I feel like I'm a wife to this like project, <laughs> which is like save the planet project. That's my right. primary relationship. Convince a bunch <laughs> of men to do shit they don't want to do and, without, and without them knowing you've convinced them. <laughs> Well, that's the best thing, because then at the end of the day, they're like, what is that Lao Tzu quote that says a great leader is someone who at the end of the day, the people say, look at what we've done. Right. You know, and I always think about that because, yeah, also you has to be yours because you have to own it because I'm just one person and I'm not going to hold it for you. You have to own it and incorporate it and be it and want to do it. And then the system begins to change when people do that. But it takes getting all those individuals to own it in order for the system to change. Wow. You're also kind of like a psychotherapist in the sense that, you know, it's it's utterly useless to go to tell someone what's wrong with them. Right. You need to, like, create a space and guide them in right. invisible ways to <laughs> come to the realization themselves. Oh, I'm, you're exposing my secret. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think any powerful political players listen to this podcast, so maybe you're you're safe. I hope I hope I don't get an email from you in a month like Chris. Don't want to work with me anymore. 
Thanks for nothing, man. You know, people just often, people, I got this great chance to meet the Dalai Lama when I was in eighth grade, and I got to ask him a question, and I said, you know, how do you, how do you deal with this world? You know, like, it's like, how do you deal with this? Like, how do you have hope? It's in a good this, question. In this whole thing. I'll bet he laughed his ass off. And it was so funny, you know, he's got this really super non-linear way of answering questions, which of course I love. And he basically went on this long thing about all these things that I didn't understand. And then at the end, he said, you know, I believe that people, by and large, are basically good and that they want to do the right thing. And also in his circular answer, he's like, you know, it all starts in your home. It starts with you. Your body is your first home and then your relationships and your physical space and the community you live in and then the state and whatever, like it goes up from there. But what I took away from that was this, like, instead of throwing myself against a wall, I'm always going to look for the person. Mm. And I'm going to look to see what they care about. And if I can find what they care about, and if some of those things align with what I care about, then we can have a conversation. And then we can talk about these things. And so I guess that would be the sort of hand-holding role of like, let's find what's good here. Let's find where we have alignment. And if you are willing to do that with me, I'm willing to do it with you. Mm. And then together we will go to a new place, Right. you know, um, in that process. And this is my life. I mean, this is what I do. I don't do anything else. Mm. I don't have, I mean, I don't have children, I don't, you know, I don't have a family, and not to say I won't at some point, but this is what I've dedicated my life to since I was in, you know, eighth grade probably, and like, I think that in that... Eighth grade? Oh yeah, I was pretty sure that this is what I was going to do. Was it just a coincidence that that was the same time you met the Dalai Lama? <laughs> I don't know, good question. Probably. Tell me about the circumstances of meeting him. We had this really great group called Peace Jam in Colorado, which was a way for high schools to organize like um, in response to like violence or gangs to have these sort of you know um, meetings on campus and to meet with people who had won um, Nobel Peace Prizes when they came uh, or to bring them to the state. It was like a statewide program. Thank God you didn't get Henry Kissinger. Oh my God, right? Jesus. I would be like so You'd be evil. a different person, yeah. <laughs> well, I've been trying to kill Cambodians since eighth grade. Great. <laughs> so I had this really, uh, I had one of my best friends had this uh, Buddhist uh, teacher that she went to after school. And we were in eighth grade, so we weren't in high school. But she, she had a school license, and so she faked that we had a high school. And we all got to go to meet the Dalai Lama. <laughs> Um, even though we were in eighth grade and we spent a weekend with him and um, wow. it was, you know, probably like 600 high school students from across the state of Colorado and us. And, um, yeah, just to be in a room with him for three days and to be able to ask him questions and like, it was an elevating experience. I think I understood what the word awe meant, like in a way that I never did. Mm. And I've always remembered that and it definitely elevated my um, whole sense of being. I think I was high for days, you know? Yeah. 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 That's cool. Yeah. He's a cool guy. Well, listen, uh, 
Thank you. Thank you, Chris. It's been really lovely to just share with you. Yeah. Unfiltered sake. Yeah, it's really nice. <laughs> should do it again sometime if I'd it's not going to gonna blow your cover. <laughs> thanks, thanks for uh, being a, what's the word, a, a productive deviant? Positive deviant. A positive deviant. A productive positive deviant. <laughs> and, and supporting the rest of them out there in the world. Thanks for the wonderful conversation. Yeah. Thank you for hanging out. Uh, if you'd like to support the podcast and are financially able, go to patreon.com and search for Tangentially Speaking. You enter your credit card, tell them you want to give me a buck, five bucks, 20 bucks, 30 bucks, 50 bucks, 200 bucks, and then they'll just automatically ding your credit card and you don't have to think about it again. Uh, if you don't have uh, the money to do that, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Tell your friends about the podcast, write a review on iTunes, or just enjoy the podcast. It doesn't matter. I want to thank Basin and Range for that intro music. The song's called Bright Side of the Sun. And you can check them out at basinandrangeband.com. If you want to talk about the podcast, you can go to Reddit, where there are a few thousand people chatting about the podcast. Uh, I drop in and answer questions, post photos, uh, whatever. Pretty cool community there. Another forum where you can meet fellow listeners to this podcast is at t eight. No, sorry, tspeaking.boardhost.com. This has been set up by a listener to enable people to um, register and uh, their different states and countries so you can find people who live near you, get together, have a beer, smoke a bowl, eat some mushrooms, dance under the moonlight, however you celebrate these things. You'll find uh, like-minded spirits on that. It's Again, it's tspeaking.boardhost.com. Dot com. And uh, if you want to get some T-shirts, we have the Civilized to Death shirts, Sex at Dawn shirts, Tangentially Speaking shirts. They're all in my mom's garage. She will get them out to you in a jiffy. Julie, my mom, is one of the most efficient people you will ever meet. So you can find those on my website. That Chris Ryan, chrisryanphd.com, tangentiallyspeaking.com, whatever. You'll find them. Just look in the store there. If you want to buy some other T-shirts from the same manufacturer, that's Shore Design T shirts they are fantastic i know i say this is an ad free podcast uh and this could be construed as an ad but sure design t-shirts have been supporting this podcast since its inception bennett who was the dude there decided he was going to support the podcast he sent me a bunch of shirts uh at an extreme discount to uh, help us out since bennett died the people who took over sure design t-shirts.com uh have decided to continue giving us the same deal that bennett gave us so be sure to use the discount code CTD, as in civilized to death, when you order anything from them and you'll get 20%, two zero, 20% off your entire order. That's the discount code CTD. And that's at SureDesignTshirts.com. Thank you to Carsey Blanton for the song you're about to hear. You can check her out at CarseyBlanton.com. She performed this little ditty, especially for us. Sounds like she was sitting in her garage. You can hear the birds chirping. The song is called Smoke Alarm, and it's a reminder to live now because you're going to die one day. This is for you guys, Bennett and Justin. Miss you. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because.
because I want to And what's the difference if you turn away I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about a reputation to the ground. 